This morning, we're talking about what real men are. One of my favorite scriptures, probably one of my favorite times in ministry, comes from the scripture, 1 Corinthians 16, 13 through 14. It says, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, and let all you do be done in love. What's cool about this scripture is it, it sums up really what, what God has called us to be as men. This is, this scripture is one of my, one of my favorite scriptures. And yes, it's one. It's actually in the last portion of 1 Corinthians. Paul is writing the Corinthians. Basically, the letter to the Corinthians is to the church. And he's saying, guys, don't forget, don't forget who you are as a Christian. Like, don't lose yourself in society don't give yourself back over to what's going on all around you in the world like everything that that people do he's saying remember who you are remember you are god's god's child god's men and women and this scripture um, is saying stand firm be watchful uh, be strong act like men is in some translations and then this last part is my favorite part and we'll talk about it corinthians is famous for what the love letter right what love is, what you hear all the time at weddings. And this last part, I think, is, is really, it hinges on love God and love your neighbor. It's let all that we do be done in love. So I'm going to share with you a little bit. I told um, one of my friends, Larry Watkins, came in this morning, and, and I said, man, we're preaching about you today. We're preaching about bold men of God. And I said, the, my problem is, and I'll, I'll, I'll try to keep it short today, my problem is I'm, I'm about to download 12 months of something that changed my life. And I'm going to try to do it in 35 minutes. So if it feels like I'm going fast or I'm, I'm just keeping it like mid-level, there's a reason because it's like 12 months of information in my head and heart, and I'm just trying to get the highlight reel for you. It's something I'd love for our men to do in the church one day. It's called Authentic Manhood. Some of the best days in ministry I can recall is when I was surrounded by men. Like, surrounded by men on a mountain, surrounded by men in a whitewater raft in Colorado, in, what is it, stage four rapids, stage five rapids? Like craziness, your adrenaline's pumping, you're scared to death, and you make it through it. And these dudes that you're with, you're like, man, we survived that together. And you remember that for the rest of your life. Some might, even the scripture that we're in today, 1 Corinthians 16, 13 through 14, our pastor in Chicago, when we were, when we were stationed there through ministry, said, I want to start a men's stadium conference. And he was talking to four of us in the room, and he said, I want to fill stadiums all over North America with men. And we want to challenge them to be men. And they said, what do you guys think? Do you think we could pull that off next year? <laughs> There's four of us guys in the room and one lady, and we're like, well, we'll do our best. Like, we'll do our best. At the end of that year, 23,000 men found their way into a stadium. And we rallied around this one scripture. And the reason why it's so important is because, honestly, the definition of manhood over time has been watered down, and it's been, it's been just blocked out by the noise. It's been saturated by what we see on TV, right? It's been, and it's not all bad. But what's, what I'm thankful for is a lot of the men that are in the room today, in fact, every single man in the room today, I believe, has found the path to what being a real man is. And it's not some macho, like, beat my chest, like, our, our, you know, Tim the Tool Man Taylor, even though he's awesome, right? I thought about having a contest this morning on, on who could be the best Tim the Tool Man Taylor, if anybody wants to go for that. Like, we'll, ha we'll have a cool prize. 
maybe Paulson will drive you guys around the island in his uh, Shelby Daytona. Is that all right, Steve? St- I think Steve might win anyway. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 through 14. Be watchful. Stand firm in the... F- Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. This is not an easy Scripture to live out. Right? It's not an easy Scripture to live out. So what's a real man? So I think the women in the room are just as interested as the men to know what this definition. What is a real man? In those 12 months of authentic manhood curriculum, biblical manhood curriculum, this is what it boiled down to. A real man rejects passivity. We reject passivity. It means we truly step into that leadership role and we say it's, it's about a man of integrity. It's about saying, I'm, I'm not going to stand by and watch this wrong go unrighted. Like, think about it. The very first fall in Scripture in Genesis is when, what, when Eve is tempted by, by the evil one and she grabs the apple and she takes a bite? That wasn't Eve's fault, guys. Who was standing right next to her? The man. And he's completely silent. And he's like, he's passive. And he just says, I don't know. Try it. We'll see. We'll see what wisdom, we'll see what wisdom looks like. The man was passive. So real men reject passivity. The second one is real men accept responsibility. If you've been around me long enough, you'll, you'll, you'll know I try my best to own my mistakes. Almost to a fault. I'll say that's my fault. Matter of fact, I had to own a big one these last couple of weeks with Steve Paulson, our moderator, and I said, that's on me. Like, I'll take care of that. Let me take care of that. That's on me. And what I learned through, through these 12 months of being in Scripture and finding out, like, real men take responsibility. We say, I, that's me. And that's, that's a leadership principle, right? The buck stops with me. You know, we all learn that eventually at some point. Because things won't get better. Our homes, our society, our world, it will not get better until we say, the buck stops with me, right? I'm pointing the finger at me, which is cool. Like, I could go on and on about that part. Like, right, don't, don't pick on the, the uh, speck in your brother's eye. You know, deal with the log in your own. I love that about Scripture. It, like, it keeps from pointing the finger at each other, and it has us pointed at ourselves, at our heart. Real men reject passivity, accept responsibility. Real men lead courageously. So when things are hard, when things are confusing, when, when there's not an eat, when there's a tough decision to be made, like we, we have to make it. Like we have to make it. Guys, our wives like want us to make that tough decision. And a lot of times over the years, we've deferred that to who? To them. Like the, the wives, I'd say since the Depression, since the Industrial Revolution, I would say the wives have had to step up and be strong and be courageous and take responsibility. And somehow when the men, and this is in this study, so I'm, when the men left for work in the Industrial Revolution, there's something that we left behind in our homes. We deferred our role as a man to our wives when we started going to work. Before then, the, the man was at the home with the wife, with the family. We were working the crops together. We were doing life together. And so think about that for a moment. It's too big of a topic to tackle this morning. So I'm just, I'm just, I'm going to touch the iceberg on that, the tip of the iceberg. And this last part, real men expect the greater reward. Expect the greater reward. 
this is something even for me today, like my Achilles heel is, is um, being patient, or what I should rather say is impatience. Like who, who has an impatience like, like that's what's going to bring you down, if anything? It's me. And what happens, like you try to control, you try to fast forward, you try to like push people forward into doing what you want to do, because that's the short-term easy game, the quick win. And we'll, we'll get into scripture here. It's if you want to go far, go with others. If you want to go fast, go it alone. You know, I've, I've found that to be true. Expect the greater reward. And what I'm going to try to present to you today is a case through scripture that our greater reward is, yes, it's on this earth, but it's even better than that. It's our greatest reward is in eternal, is in the kingdom. So this first bullet point, this first blank in your sermon notes, if you got that. So think for, think for a moment um, a compass. On that compass, it's north, south, east, and west. And what I'm going to try to download with you, you guys today is a compass for manhood. You know, moms and dads, this is a compass for your young men that you're raising in your homes. Like men, this is a compass for you as a man, but also as a husband, as a friend, as someone in the workplace. I mean, wives, like, like elbowed your husband if, if one of these points hits true in your own household. That's okay today. Like, we're going to encourage our men, but we're also going to sharpen them a little bit. We are kings. I don't know if you guys have ever heard that, but, but every man in this room is a king. We are, we are made to be sons and daughters of the Most High God. We were made to inherit this kingdom that He has for us. And He is trying to show the world through you, through us, Christian men, what kings look like. And the thing about kings, it's, about, it's really about integrity. It's like, am I a man of integrity? We need to get ready for what's coming. The king creates order and provision. He provides direction. He leads with integrity. And it allows us to be a blessing to those entrusted to our care. If we are kings and we lead with integrity, everyone around us can trust us. Our wives, our family, our friends, our co-workers. Like they can trust us. Like if they say that man's a man of integrity... That's what we call a king. A king is made to reflect righteous energy. Like, I think even in this day and age, when Martin Luther King marched in this hot topic that we're in right now, like, I, I love that he had to work really hard to say, we're doing this with peaceful protesting. Like, we're doing this. And he was a pastor, by the way, if you didn't know that. He was a man of God who had this holy, righteous conviction to say, all men were created equal. And I'm going to speak out and I'm going to march and I'm going to preach against violence. Right? We are made to reflect righteous energy. It's, all, it's associated with integrity. It's about strong conviction, courageous moral choices, a servant spirit. Like in, in today's world, like a servant spirit is, is very unique. I mean, I see it a lot in the people in the church. I see it a lot in people in our Coast Guard. I see it a lot in the leaders in our community and the different groups and clubs that we have. It's about serving others, right? Like one of the most fulfilling things that I believe that when we intersect with this in our world is 
oh my gosh, like life is so much more fulfilling when it's not about who, when it's not about me, when it's about my neighbor and the, and the community, the people in the community that need our help. It's a servant spirit. We're going to look at two people that, that displayed that. It's about righteous leadership. So examples of kings, and we'll read the first scripture here, is when Nathan, the prophet Nathan, God used him to actually go speak to King David. So David was the king at this point. And he said, he said, Nathan, I want you to go speak to David, and I need you to share the story with him because David was in the wrong. David actually was a king. He took another man's life in, in, a, in a rank far below him. He sent that man, her husband, to the, to the battlefield. He said, put him on the front line, if you know the story. Some of our kids do. And that man lost his life. A king sent a soldier to war so that he could be in danger, really. And so what? So King David could have access to who? His wife, this guy's wife. Probably the most disgraceful thing I think you can do. And it shows the heart of a man sometime. So the Lord sends a prophet Nathan to confront David. In 2 Samuel 12, 7, he says, Nathan said to David, and this isn't the way it looks. He says, you're the man. So he just read this parable to him, and he says, he said, this guy, he basically, he's a rich man. He had access to thousands of lambs to, to have sacrifice that day on an offering day. And this man with access to thousands of lambs actually went and took a lamb from this poor guy and said, oh, we'll sacrifice his lamb. And the poor guy's only lamb. And he did. He sacrificed that lamb. This is the parable that Nathan shared with David. And David said, that's ridiculous. So he said, you're the, he said, that's ridiculous. Like that guy ought to be put to death. And Nathan said, you are that man. Like you just did that with Uriah's wife. He said, you're that man that says the Lord, the God of Israel. I anointed you king all over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And he's basically, Nathan is trying to hold him accountable for not being a king, for not being a godly man. Nathan was displaying, the point of the story is Nathan was displaying the actual characteristics of a king. And what's even crazier in this day, this is the true story, in this day, King David could have had him killed. Like he could have said, I, I disagree with you. Like, you don't come and speak to me that way. I'm the king. You know, imagine, I, I don't know who the, who the highest person is at the Coast Guard. It's like an XO or CEO or one of these dudes. Imagine rolling into his office and saying, like calling him out on something that, that he did wrong. I mean, yeah, I'd, I'd say you, you're, you're pretty much gambling with your job or in our school district, Damon. You need to go, la- you know, talk, tell Larry how to do his job, right? Like that's a little scary sometimes and intimidating when you have to go to the guy to talk to him about what he's doing wrong. The prophet Nathan was displaying what it meant to be a king, even though he didn't have that title. He was being God's man, God's king. But here's what's cool. David says to Nathan in response, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. What we see in both Nathan and now in David is David says, you know, you're right. Like you, you've caught me in my sin and I'm going to own it. What are we talking about? Accepts responsibility. It says, you caught me in it. You're right. Like I own it. Forgive me. And God did. 
I'm going to share something a little with a little personal with you guys this morning. So when we do these mountain trips, we make brothers. We start off like 22 strangers and we go for six days and we head into the mountains and we camp and we do all this cool manly stuff. We jump off of rocks and and just our boxer shorts sometimes into like 30 degree water or what feels like 30 degree water. It's probably like 50 or 60 degree water. Like we do all this crazy man stuff and we come back brothers. We had a little glimpse of that in our snow shelter build here on Sheratine Mountain this last winter. And it was like a two-day versus a six-day, but it was still fun. It was cool. The tough part of that, there's encouragement, but I'll share this story with you. A year later, after one of our mountain trips with one of our guys that went with us, he came to us out of the blue and he said, hey, my wife's leaving me. And we said, dude, what in the world is going on? Like, t- tell us, tell us, you know, what's going on. And he told us the story. This is the first we'd heard about this, even though we're brothers. This is the first glimpse of, of reality of what was really going on under the hood in their home. And he said, yeah, he, he said, she wants me to stop drinking and she wants me to stop going to the UT football games and she wants me to stop hanging out with all my friends. And the more he shared his stories, the more it was like, God, this guy is like living, living his like sophomore year in college, like on repeat for the last 20 years. And she, and she, man, she's trying to take that away from him. Man, good grief. What kind of wife is that? Like, we're like, dude, are you kidding? <laughs> so seven of us guys, and she's moving out of the house, literally moving out of the house. Seven of us guys from the mountains show up on his back door. And we said, hey, you, can you have, can you have time for a talk? And he's like, I guess I don't have a choice, right? These seven, seven brothers from the mountain are here to talk to me. And his wife's like, what are y'all doing? And we said, we're here to talk, talk to your husband. So we sit down in lawn chairs in the backyard and we're like, bro, like you are making the biggest mistake of your life. Like you are about to let the woman that God gave you the gift, as scripture says, You're about to let her walk away because you won't give up, you know, I don't even know what he drank, Shinerbach back in Texas and and UT football games because you don't want to let go of the glory days. And it's not like she said you can't do any of that. She's just saying you don't have to do that every Saturday and Sunday throughout the fall, right? Like I don't know how long football season, it's forever in Texas, goes through hunting season if you're you're a good enough team. But we we sat down with him and some of us brought two by fours. I mean, not really, but our words. Like that's what love, that's what love was for that man at that time. To break a two by four over his head and get him to wake up. Some of us brought encouraging words and said, and tried to paint a picture of this, this alternate future that he had in front of him. We even used words like, some other guy is going to be raising your, your kids. Are you okay with that? And this sounds harsh, guys. But when you hear the Scripture, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. This last part, let all that you do be done in love. Like my favorite thing I always heard a pastor say, one that I greatly respected, he said, God's love isn't like have another plate of warm cookies, Johnny, like comforting love. It's it's different. God's love is a perfecting love. It's a, I want you to look like Christ, love. And I'm okay if you walk through the fire because I'm going to be with you. That was the kind of love we brought to our friend. 
in his backyard. We actually had to do that with two of our guys. And one guy chose, like King David, he chose to be a king and said, you know what, you're right. Like, I own it. I'm being, I'm being who I'm being. And, and I'll let you guys hold me accountable and encourage me. And we walked with him. We're, we're still brothers with both of these guys today. The other guy decided, no, like I, I want this other life. And still to this day, much like my own father, is still chasing happiness. And that's their choice, right? A ca- characters, caricatures of a king. So there's this real pillar of a king, real characteristic, and there's this fake cartoon version of a king. If a man is pushed too far, this, this is the, when my compass is off, when I'm not dead north, I'm kind of skewed. And every man gets here, by the way. If a, if a man is pushed too far, he can become a bully, a tyrant, or a dictator. Like, that's a warning, guys. Like, who, who's had that day when they felt like, holy cow, I got that wrong. I don't know where that came from. Like, even my own self, I have two men in this room, well, I'd say three in this room, that are allowed to say anything they want to me at any time. And they, they let me actually just tell them whatever I need to tell them, whether it comes out in love or anger or bitterness. Like every man in this room needs two or three guys they can trust, they can say anything to. And then allow those men to hold them accountable, accountable and speak truth and love back into their life. Otherwise, we get used to being pushed too far and then becoming the bullies and tyrants and dictators because we're made to be a king, remember? But when we're off, we shift just enough where that king is, is out of balance. If a man doesn't have enough of the king, he can struggle with compromise. This is another one. So on the opposite of being a bully and a tyrant, so it's, this is an easy one. Who, who in here is like a fight or flight, right? Who in here fights? Like, that's me. I'll step right in the middle of the circle. Like, even ask Myra. Like, early in our marriage, like in her house, you didn't talk about problems. You didn't hint that there was a problem. You didn't, like, frown at each other. You just pretended that everything was good all the time. That was her family. My family, well, you moved the furniture out of the way. Like, we were going to go WWE or, or like, what, like uh, MMA in the carpet, like, that night and get the problem solved. Both were unhealthy, by the way. <laughs> like, neither one of us had it, had it right. But on the opposite of a dictator and a bully, men can fall into what we call um, a compromiser. Someone that just will compromise to make people happy, just to get through the problem and really not solve the problem, just to go along to get along, right? So we're not made to be bullies. We're not made to be tyrants. We're not made to be compromisers to go along and get along. We're made to be kings who will step up with integrity, with love, and, and, and deal in a godly way with whatever's in front of us. We're made to be kings. The second one is we're made to be warriors. And this is the one where most men are like ready to grab their spear or their, I, don't, I forget the biggest gun, a casul. Is a casul the biggest gun you can have for bear on this island? Like a... a it's a big one, you know. I think so. If you guys know Steve Sharon, and it, and it just gives you a little glimpse in this, the mind of Steve Sharon, which is, I'd say, a pretty interesting place. Um, <laughs> he he wanted Brit to shoot a, a gun that can handle a bear, that could take care of a bear, and he, and he took her out to the gun range. Right? He puts. So this is the first time Brit's shooting a gun. 
He puts the kasul in Brit's hands. It's a gun about this big with a barrel about that big. <laughs> he puts his pistol and, and he says, okay, you gotta, you gotta get ready because it's, it's gonna, it's gonna knock you off your feet. This is the first time Brit's ever shot a gun. And she fires that thing. And I think it might even hit, I don't know what it did, but she, I don't know that she shot a gun since, right? And he said, that was kind of my bad, bro. I should have gave her something a little smaller, <laughs> but we're made to be warriors. Like, we're, we're, like, most men are like, I send me. You know? It's why it's easy to get a lot of us to sign up for the military when we're 18, because that's most of what we want to do, and, unless you paid the price already in the football field, and you learn that, oh wow, you can really get hurt. We're made to be warriors, and it's a good thing. The warrior shows a courageous energy and demands from us purposeful initiative. A man who wears the warrior well is a man of action. Warriors take initiative. Warriors are intentional. This, this is why, you know, ladies, when you see your man say, I'm in it, let's do this, let's problem solve it. That's why men are most of the time we're fixers. Like we want to fix the problem and then what? We want to get past it. We're just like, oh, we're done with that. We already talked. Who, who's experienced that before in a marriage conflict, right? We already talked about this. We, like we fixed that. We moved on, right? And the, and the, and the wife is like, no, like, you, you've moved on and we know we didn't even talk about it. <laughs> it's kind of opposite in our family. Like I, I'm the one that likes to talk and Myra's the one like, we, we, we already talked about that. Lisa, we're, we're good. So I think that's why her and Heather Norton get along so well. We're warriors. We fight for what matters most. For purpose, for protection, to provide. We persevere. 1 Corinthians 9, 24-27. This is from Paul again. I think it's, it's some of the guy's most favorite Scripture. Do you not know that in a race, all runners run, but only one can receive the prize? So run in a way that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we are imperishable. This is why we run. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one that's just beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Run the race to win. Fight for the noble and eternal things. Guys, this, even the last several months, like I believe we've all had trials and tests to say, are you living for now? Are you living for long term? Are you living for just today's happiness? Are you living for eternity? Are you, I'll even use these words, are we really living for reconciliation and relationship? Or are we living to be right? Because some you can't have both sometimes. Like I have to tell myself that all the time. Larry, you can either be right or you can have a relationship. And it, and it doesn't mean that I have to compromise or it doesn't mean that I have to walk away from what's good in solving the problem. It just means I need, the, I need to give this person time on the other side to process what I've already decided. Even the three guys that I tell you about constantly remind me, it's like, Larry, it's not that you're wrong, but what's more important is relationship. What's more important is, is staying at the table. What's more important is working on building the bridge. And believe me, I'm, if someone's preaching to themselves right now, it's me. 
Like I'm taking a big old spoonful of medicine like week after week. Say, Larry, you've got to live out the stuff that you believe. First Timothy 6, 11 through 12 says, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. He's talking about flee unrighteousness, flee sexual impurity, flee like drunkenness. Like people are just giving themselves over to anything and everything but what God wants for them. It's just flee those things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. We have to pursue these things. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you were made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So we're made to be kings. We're made to be warriors. So when, when I'm not in my warrior zone, I'll say it's over here on, in the West, and I'm off, oh, that could look like a warrior's face. When he's pushed too far, he can become abusive, harsh to those around him. They call that a destructive or a destroyer. Men, because we're made for war, like when we're not when we're not getting the warrior thing right, when we're not getting warrior or king together, following Christ, led by the Holy Spirit, we are very destructive. Like we've seen it right in our own lives. Like I I've got a sermon for another four weeks to talk about why are all these people showing displaying anarchy right now. Like, I believe it has nothing to do with racism, what's happening right now. But some of it does. The good fight does. I believe what's actually happening, what we're seeing, is just pure anarchy. Because we have seen over the last 50 years, leader after leader, whether it's a pastor, whether it's a corporate CEO, whether it's a general, just leader after leader, get it wrong and show our sin side, show our greed, show our weaknesses, show like the flawed manhood. And I believe this next generation's coming up is saying, I don't want to have anything to do with that. Like I'm a generation X guy, so I'm a I'm a compliant for the most part. I'm I'm kind of more in line with the with the greatest generation, with the like serve your country, serve, love your neighbor, like get in line. Like, you know, and we'll speak our we'll speak our mind when we need to. This next generation, pray for them. They are saying we no longer want these, we are no longer going to worship or follow flawed leadership. And they're using these very real topics as fuel and as a spark to launch anarchy. So pray for them. Pray for our country. When we are not aligned in our warrior, we can be destroyers. If a man does not have enough of the warrior face, he can struggle with passivity. He easily gives up and is quick to tap out and to surrender. It's also called the wimp. And I'm not pointing a finger at anybody, I'm pointing at myself. Like God doesn't call us to be destroyers. He doesn't call us to be wimps. He says, no, I, I want you to fight the good fight. Like we, we have to fight for our marriages, right? Through forgiveness, through sometimes having a tough conversation with a dude that won't leave your wife alone and say, all right, all right, bro, she's mine. Just so you know, like Myra, here's funny aside, Myra and I had to quit going clubbing. Like we love the dance. Like we love the dance. I know it's funny, but we're back in our twenties. We we're married young. So we, we'd get a babysitter and we'd go out and we'd go, we'd go clubbing. Houston and Austin are great places to go out and dance. And 
But there was a point where like all these drunk dudes are like hitting on my wife all night. And so I, I got to the point where I was like ready to fight because they wouldn't stop. And I, I told Myra, it's probably smart that we not go clubbing for a while because I, I can't handle it. Like I can't handle it. A warrior face is just fighting what matters most. Real traits of men, these last two things, and I'll move on. They stretch our relational capacity. Um, so we're made to be kings. We're made to be warriors. But these last two things, some men are uncomfortable with. So I'm going to go there and then we'll, we'll get to a more positive part. We're made to be lovers. We're made to be lovers of one wife for life. It's clear in Scripture. We could have another six weeks just to talk about this. We're made to be lovers. We are supposed to live in our, we live with our wives in an understanding way, right? Which means we pick up on her needs. We, um, most guys will train to do our job, right? We'll train for years to go through college or skill training. Like we'll train and train and train to be really good at this thing at work. Why? Because it's immediately rewarding. We'll train for years to become really good at a hobby, whether it's fly fishing or woodworking or whatever that is shooting scripture's trying to tell us when we're kings when we're warriors when we're loving we will make our wives an objective to learn we will understand her and men like good luck because i don't know that a man will ever understand women and i don't think women will truly ever understand men so this is meant to be a lifelong journey like, how fun is that? It's a lifelong journey to understand your wife. A real man prioritizes his wife, his family. We're present physically and mentally. Like, it's so tough. And I say this all the time. Men, when you get home from work, take off your, your armor. Like, let's take off our armor. Like, even some men, like, it's awesome. They'll get to the front yard and they'll, they'll literally symbolically like take off their helmet and put it on the, on the front porch. Just as a reminder is I've got to, I've got to lay down my sword and take off my armor. I'm about to go be with my wife and kids. It sometimes it's tough for us to do. I used to, um, I used to have to eat a meal on the way home from Duke Energy. So I drove 66 miles one way from a beautiful lake house to downtown or, outskirts of Houston and we were all NASCAR drivers so that took like 20 minutes to do 66 miles and um, you use a blinker after you're fully in your lane like have you guys ever driven that way so I rode with Johnny Walker in, in uh, Fairbanks and, and he was going like 20 the whole time everywhere and I was like coming out of my skin like why are you driving so slow and he goes he goes dude we live on an island and like the furthest I drive is like 10 minutes and 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 I don't have to rush to get there and so I'm slowly getting there you know, I'm thankful to have police officer friends in the community that are gracious with me. We're present uh, physically and mentally. When I would drive to Duke Energy and I would drive home, I would use that time to kind of, to you know, to just decompress. Also, I didn't want to go home as a bear. Everybody in my family is a type 1 diabetic. My, my dad's side, except me. I have to eat really regularly and pretty healthy, otherwise I feel terrible. Um, and so I'd actually pick up a light meal on the way home so I wouldn't walk through the door like grouchy and 
and like ready to to just you know where's dinner <laughs> you know like it was terrible so i could be present with her so i could be the loving man that i needed to be you know so i could be there for her instead of what coming in and demanding that she was there for me you know there's there's a difference um a real man is a, is an encourager this is especially important for our wives and our kids um, and if you've never said this, speaking of on Father's Day for our kids, or your dad never said this to you, it's a big deal. It's a really big deal. If a dad says these three things to their kids, you'll, you'll be doing it way better than most of the world. A dad says, I love you. A dad says, I'm proud of you. Four, be specific. And a dad says, you are really good at, or you are unique and special at. I mean, what are you doing? All we're doing is, as men is affirming what God's made them for. Like, I don't know about you, but my kids are night and day different from one another. Like, you couldn't have made two different kids. One is super creative. She's like, she's imaginative. She's all over the place. She's not a rule follower. She's more like me, right? And then we have Blake, who I think was made to be military law enforcement. Like, everything's black and white. He's constantly telling me when I'm speeding like and mad about it like dad you're speeding again i'm like oh my gosh like can, can you drive your own car <laughs> it's good but they're completely different but each of them <coughs> needs to hear i love you i'm proud of you and you are good at or you are special at we're a student of our kids real men this is the lover the lover side of us we love and we spend time with the gifts that god has given us whether it's our wife, our kids, the friends that are around us, if you're single, the people, the men and women that God has brought into your life, we're meant to be encouragers. 1 Thessalonians 2, 7-9, through 9, and I'll, I'll get to the last one and we'll, we'll approach the finish line. It says, but we were gentle among you. This is Paul again talking to the Thessal Thessalonian church. Like a nursing mother, this is trying to talk about the loving side, men. In this sort of language makes us uncomfortable, but, but if you're uncomfortable, then, then good. Like you're hearing it right. We were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, that servant leader again. Because you had become very dear to us, for you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we worked night and day that we not, might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. And then this last part, it's one of my favorite ones to read at weddings. Ephesians 5.31 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one. Like there's nothing more loving to say, you are God's gift to me, like, it's just you and me following God. Our parents are important, but they're here, right? I even heard the Davidsons talking about this yesterday. They had a new grandbaby born, Stethan, 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 and um, awesome name, very creative. And it's cool to hear when grandparents say they need their time, and then we will come when it's our time. It's so cool to have parents and grandparents honor the bond between man and woman, between husband and wife. And if we ever meet to talk about marriage counseling, I'm going to go there. I'm going to, I'm going to ask, like, 
So tell me about your two's relationship and, and tell me how the in-laws fit into it. Because I'm going to start to talk about hierarchy really quick. Because it's important for us to say, I'm following God. You, it's God, you, my spouse, then my kids, and then everyone else. A caricature of a lover or a fake face of a lover. If a man is pushed too far, he can become critical, harsh, demanding of his wife and kids, um, what feels like a micromanager. So our love, so think about it this way. When we get married, we basically sign, enter an agreement into covenant under God. It's a covenant. And the difference between a covenant and a contract is a contract says, I'll do this for you and you do this for me. If you stop doing that for me, then I'll stop doing this for you. Contract void. A covenant says, no, I give you all of myself with no expectation in return. The difference between a covenant and a contract is expectation. So we have to decide, I'm just going to give you all of myself and trust that you're going to give me all of yourself because that's what Christ modeled for us. We're in covenant to one another. We're not there, we're not there to enforce expectations. We're not there to, to pull out the contract and say, oh, you, this, this, and this, and this. Like, you're missing that. You need to step up your game. No, there is time for feedback, right? we got to have feedback. The other version of a lover that's, that's misplaced or when we lose ourselves is cold, withdrawn, disconnected, detached, and isolated. If a man is pushed too far, he, and this again is whether you're a fight or a flight person, you can withdraw and become isolated. We're meant to be kings, warriors, lovers in this last part, friends. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Iron sharpens iron and one, as one man sharpens another. Guys, this is the most fun. We're meant to be kings. We're meant to be warriors. We're meant to be lovers. We're meant to be friends. Like this is the compass. This is what, this is what God created us to be. This is a real man. And I, I don't know if there's any guys in this room, especially it happens with, with young married or even, um, where you pour all of your time into your spouse and your kids and we neglect kind of brotherhood and man friendships. Like it took me till I was like, I think 35 years old to realize. And mine was out of source of pain. I didn't trust men. I didn't like men. Like I didn't have a great father relationship at home. So I just thought men need to be out here. Um, and I had to learn through men's ministry. It's, it's crazy, but it's true. I had to learn through men's ministry. I was made for brotherhood. Like I was made to have other men encourage me, hold me accountable and vice versa. And once this started happening, once I finally realized I had to get a couple of men in my life that I could trust, I actually, guess what? I actually became a better husband. Like, I became a better dad. I, came, I became a better, like, co-worker and employer. It's because I was able to get some really deep and big stuff off my chest that I've been carrying around and give it to other guys and then say, hey, let me pray for you. So I want to do something unique as we wrap up. To um, and, the, and the band can come up and, and take position on this one and then we'll do offering. I would like to challenge and ask each man, young or old, all of our guys in the room to, to take a stand. A little bit uncomfortable, but this is fun. 
Adventure starts out of our comfort zones, and I'm going to be fighting with this thing all morning. Sorry, Brett. I love to do this with men because I had some really good men do it for me. I'm just going to talk loud. You're all kings. Every single man in this room, young or old, you were made to be kings. Each of you, you're warriors. You are warriors. We are called to fight in the spiritual battle for God, to be bold men of God. That's what you were made for. We're lovers of one wife for life. Anything outside of that is the most destructive thing we can do. And we were made to be friends. We are made to be brothers. And our identity is in Christ. When we resolve to say, I'm going to be who God created me to be, I'm going to, I'm going to be Christ to others because He saved me, He forgave me. That's when we're on the path and we start to get it right. That's when we lay down all of our idols, 